Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey local provider. also have an MBA in finance. I've been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. And Gordon's out today, but we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday, like today, from 9 to 10 a.m. You can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a lot of good stuff on there. We have a link uh, to the uh, to the show that you can listen and stream live on the uh, Internet. Um, obviously, 1230 a.m. is the, the radio dial that you can catch us on Saturday mornings. But if you do happen to miss us, you can also listen to our podcast. We've made that very convenient. Great new feature we have. So uh, check us out. And we have some other ways that uh, listeners can connect as well. Yeah, another great way is to listen on your smartphone. You can download the TuneIn Radio app. And uh, you can listen to us while you're out working in the yard or whatever you're doing. And uh, the podcasts are always a great way to do it. Um, we're on iTunes there. So you can, again, download those to your – subscribe to those to, on your iPhone and, uh, you know, listen to us anytime you want. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you know, I think we have a great show lined up for today. Um, some exciting things to talk about. Uh, some good, some bad, John, you know, <laughs> as always. Yeah, we uh, we always have pithy topics, so good, you know, current events, um, things you need to, to tune into. We do. And, um, you know, there's a lot going on in the world, obviously, with the Greece crisis that continues. And, I hadn't heard much um, about that. What do you... What are you talking about? Yeah, you you haven't heard about that. Yeah, yeah. Greece has a little financial a little deal issue, going on. Yeah, it's been going on for five years now, but it looks like it might be coming to a head. We'll see what happens here over the next couple of weeks. But um, you know, and we talked about some last week, but we're going to talk about China this week's so another one uh, that's coming up kind of at the end of the show here. China stock markets actually actually crashed yeah. here in the past month. It's a little volatile. <laughs> it's a lot volatile. <laughs> I mean, they're up like 80%, but yet they've crashed like 35%. So we're going to talk about that um, here at the end. We're going to talk. We're going to start off here talking about the nine ways to earn money from home. You yeah. know, there are a lot of stay-at-home people now. Yeah, this is a good, great article. It really is. I mean, you know, in the world of, of, of cyber... You know, access from home. Um, a lot of people stay home and they want to earn money from home. Well, we got nine ways to do that. Yeah, and then we're going to follow that up with an article out of CNN Money talking about uh, investing internationally. Now, that that's a little scary, so we're going to dive into that topic, give you some reasons why maybe you're not investing enough internationally. We'll, we'll go through some of the risk and some of the history and so forth. Um, and there's a pretty good article kind of lining out why um, – you know, why you should consider that in, in a diversified portfolio. So we'll dive into that more in a couple of minutes. Yeah, that'll be a good one as well. All right, we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this is kind of a funny one. Uh, you know, healthcare, Steve, we talk about this uh, occasionally, particularly in retirement, is a significant piece 
of your costs. I mean, it's been estimates of two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars of healthcare cost alone. So, yeah, um, it's huge. You want to make sure that you eat well, you know, during during your lifetime. Otherwise, those costs can 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 balloon, if you will. And uh, this comes from actually the the Trinity Hospital uh, magazine out of Augusta. It's called Inspire. But the average burger combo has about twelve hundred calories in it. The average American eats fast food about 159 times per year. That's a total of 190,000 calories. Are you saying that's not healthy? <laughs> no. I mean, come on, man. No. I mean, you got to eat something. Well, if you eat that much, Steve, you have to run 1,700 miles, which is like from L.A. to Little Rock, Arkansas. So. Well, you'd save on gas. <laughs> yes, you would. <laughs> but that would be your full-time job. So I guess you would kind of like run to the McDonald's and get a burger combo and then run to the so, next city. And So you can do it as long as you run as to McDonald's run to and run it's back. Okay. I think that's that's interesting. Yeah. That is a great fact. I mean, you know, but to me, I mean, the overweight overeating point is is for weight loss is simply math. You it know, is. it's kind of like your finances, John. I mean, so this is a great parallel. Yeah, I mean, you burn like two thousand calories a day. Then you, if you take in less than that, you're going to lose weight. Take in more than that, you're going to gain weight. I mean, if you exercise one hour a day, you might stretch it out to twenty five hundred mm-hmm. calories a day. Um, you know, for me, if you want to lose weight, you 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 log your calories yeah, in track it. Fitness Pal. That's what I use. Oh, good on my iPhone. It's a great app. You log every single thing you eat, mm-hmm. and then it's just simple math. Yeah. Okay, I mean, you got to burn. You got to eat less than two thousand calories a day it's if you like want to lose weight. Kind of like a budget. Hit it's calm. exactly like a budget. Has That's where be. I was going next. There you go. There you go. I mean, if you want to save money, you got to log what you spend. You got to have a budget. Yep. Mint dot com. You know, something like that. Um, Dave Ramsey dot com has a good app. So yeah, I mean, you just got to. You got to log it if you want to lose weight. It all it's comes a, down to the details. It all comes down to math. Mm-hmm. The whole world is related to math, it is. isn't it? It is. It's it's so great. That's why we're money doctors. We love math. We are. We do love math. I wish the uh, politicians in Washington could understand <laughs> math, yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, you know, speaking of math, we're going to talk about the nine ways to earn more money from home, or to earn money, period, from home. Um, this is a great article out of uh, ParentingSquad.com by David James. And, uh, you know, I mean, isn't it every parent's dream, though, to stay home and still be able to earn a decent income? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, in today's world of e-commerce, fast Internet connections, I mean, that's certainly a lot more attainable than it has ever been. And it's probably every mom's dream, too, to be able to stay home, care for the kids, and still make a meaningful contribution to the household income. And while staying at home with your children, you know, comes with some immeasurable benefits for you and your family decision unfortunately comes with a price usually it means loss of income you know likely a lower standard of living and that can put a lot of stress on the family but the good news is there are many ways to make extra income even when you're staying a stay-at-home parent it takes discipline it takes some effort um something that you know might be in short supply when you're parent of some young kids <laughs> for sure but um you know it can be done and even if you're only able to make a few hundred dollars a month that can make a huge difference sure. in your family budget absolutely you know that can go straight into funding a roth ira mm-hmm. you know something really meaningful down the road so here are nine ways to to earn money from home and make money as a stay-at-home parent <clears throat> and first one on the list is is simply writing yeah blogging blogging yeah right uh, and you know if you if you have an expertise in a particular field um, and that field has social media presence i mean you can turn that into income 
Um, some people have strong writing skills. They can they can utilize this. Um, and if so, you know, you may be able to find some work as a blogger for a website or maybe even your start your own. And if the blog is popular enough, you can um, try to get advertisers on your page, and that will increase your income significantly as well. So, you know, one of the keys to success as a blogger is to promote your work across social media. So you're going to have to do posts on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and uh, all type of sites, you know, if you want to if you want to get your name out there and get your work in front of people, you're going to have to promote it. But blogging is a great way to do it. Yeah, and this really has become a, a increasingly popular service for companies that want to have a strong social media presence. You know, I mean, we do the same thing. Mm-hmm. We have social media accounts now for our company, and so I mean, you you first have to build up some credentials. You know, as an experienced blogger, um, and consistently you know post on social media sites to get some work in your portfolio that you can show, you know, when you're applying for that type of position. But, you know, there there really are increasing opportunities there because companies don't have the time or the skills to to consistently, you know, maintain a, an Internet presence. So they're turning to people that work from home mm-hmm. that do this yeah. for them. Independent you know? contractors. Independent contractors, and that's what you can be, an independent blogger. So that's a pretty, uh, you know, up-and-coming field where you can make money another one is simply babysitting you know i you know i can't relate to this one because yeah this would be tough it would be tough for me but you know if you love kids which you know my wife does and and lots of of women do and and kid and you know men as well i mean you likely can make some extra money by opening up your house to a few more through babysitting service if you publish out your skills as a competent, caring sitter on a regular or semi-regular basis, you know, this could work out to be some really nice extra income for you. Because I know folks pay a lot sure, absolutely. to have their kids taken care of while they're at work. And, um, you know, for ladies that, that want to have a career and also have small kids, that's a big deal. My, my daughter is actually helping out some families up in Columbia. She make, makes a couple hundred bucks a week. Yeah, so I mean, there you go, eight hundred dollars a month. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a lot, lot of money. Work, but so, it is, it is good. Yeah, it really is. So there, there's lots of work involved. I mean, you'll have to lay out a little money for extra food, cleaning supplies, um, but it was can certainly pay off in the long run if you consistently care for two or three extra kids in your home. You can make a substantial amount of mm-hmm. extra income. Yeah, another one here on the list is um, making stuff and maybe selling it, uh, you know, online with um, eBay. Uh, so if you're if you're handy, if you're crafty. Maybe it's jewelry, ceramics, glass blowing, um, small pieces of art, furniture, you know, stuff that you can design or build at your home, then then you're off to the races. I mean, you can sell this stuff online, local shops in the area, create a website, advertise on social media. And uh, again, eBay is a great way to, uh, to get your product out there. So if you have some talent, I mean, you'll be amazed at, at uh, how well you can do. And also local craft shops love to highlight local artists and sell their items so there's a market for that out there yeah there's no shortage of folks that are doing this and making some pretty good money from it all you have to do is go on ebay and go to the ebay stores Mm -hmm. and you see all the ebay stores that are set up on ebay Mm -hmm. and there's an incredible number of of obviously stay-at-home you know folks parents that are selling stuff on eBay. They're making, like, you know, they might be sewing or they might be, you know, making a craft, like mm-hmm. you said, woodworking or something like that or pottery. I mean, 
there's just an incredible number of opportunities there. If you're good at that, um, you can make lots of money. Yeah, so good. It's a good one. All right, we're going to go to break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD. The Money Doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider. And we are going to continue our discussion here before the break about the nine ways to earn money from home. Um, you know, John, I mean, there are just just tons of people out there that are that that are staying home with their kids. But they would love to earn a little bit extra money, yeah. you know, and, and, and maybe they have some extra time because the kids are in preschool or the kids are, you know, or take long naps. I don't know. I mean, you know, they, they have some ways they could work around and do that, but they just don't know how to mm-hmm. acquire the skills or how to set up something or even how to go about yeah. making some money from home. And I think we have Al Gore to thank for this, for creating the Internet, right? Yeah, we do. He you know, that the was Internet a back in the 90s. Amazing the right. thing he did. So he's back there. opened up doors for so many people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, I don't think it was Al that did it. but uh, he, claimed, he claimed it, I think, at one he point. He claimed it back in 2000, I think, or something <laughs> yeah. like that, when he was running for president. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Internet really has opened up a lot of doors. And, and even without the Internet, you know, there are things you mm-hmm. could do. Um, even if you're not computer savvy at all, um, like babysitting, we talked about that. You know, you can open up your house and you can advertise at church and you can advertise it, you know, on the social media websites. Um, and, you know, if you had two or three extra kids at home that you're caring for, that would be a lot of substantial income because yeah, that's absolutely. not cheap. No, it's, it's ex- not. It's expensive for to have somebody sit for your kids, um, you know, while you're working. And a lot of ladies now have, you know, big careers and, and they want to, you know, keep working. So um, they have small kids that, that need to be cared for while they're at work. And, you know, the thing we mentioned was blogging. Um, you know, a lot of companies like our own have social media accounts that we try to post you know, interesting information out there. So go visit us, MoneyMD, you know, dot net, and you can visit us on Facebook. and um, We have Twitter. We have Twitter. Yep. And we have LinkedIn, so you know you can uh, uh, you can make money being a blogger for those companies um, to run a blog for companies. So that's another way. And then another way is to make and sell things. I mean, eBay and you know these these sites out there like Craigslist have and having your own website as well. There's just an incredible opportunity to make stuff and market it through the internet. And uh, and plus local companies, you know, local craft shops, mm-hmm. they want to they want to sell local stuff. Yeah. And there's almost always uptown and nice towns. They have, you yeah. know, local craft shops. And that, Aiken has Aiken's making in September. Yeah. Um, so Another there's local craft fairs. So, yeah, you can definitely make make some additional income that way. Yeah. And, and speaking of selling things, you know, that you make uh, another one here on the list is baking items. Um, you know, if you're fairly good at baking, creating cool stuff in the kitchen, you might want to consider making you know, cakes, um, cupcakes, other sweet creations for parties. 
you know, if you make uh, scrumptious desserts for local restaurants as another way of doing it, um, that's another good possibility. You can build up a good clientele for making delicious cakes and desserts, and that could turn into a nice business. You can create a website for it. You can advertise on social media. Word of mouth spreads really fast if you're good at that. Um, you know, so so make your best cakes and then take them to the next, you know, town bake sale or Aiken's Making, you know, is a mm-hmm. good example, you know, with a stack of your business cards, you know, and consider the, the, the price of a considering the price of a, of a nice cake, let alone a wedding cake. I mean, it's obvious you can make some great extra income by by doing that. Yeah, you throw that that wedding word in front of it, and I think it triples the price. Oh man, right? I can't. I don't even know what a wedding cake costs, but <laughs> you're going to you find know, that one. I'm going to find that one day. Two daughters, I have one. So yeah, I'll bet. Another another one here is skilled services. I mean, sometimes people. Um, can cut hair. I mean, they're they're masseuse. Uh, maybe they've worked as an accountant in the past. Um, so there's plenty of, of need for people with those type of skills, but you have to be willing to open up your home to other people. I mean, that could create a nice income by keeping your trade alive. So, um, you know, a lot of people have uh, extra room in their house. They can cut hair. Um, some people actually keep books for small businesses. Um, they, they enjoy it. They can keep their skill base up, and uh, it's something that they don't have a lot of overhead, so they're pretty reasonably priced, and uh, they can make a really good income out of it. You really can. I know several people that, or at least a couple people that, that do bookkeeping mm-hmm. from home. Yeah, and you, you can make some pretty good money doing that. Web design is another one, John, um, here on the list. You know, it, it, this is something that takes great computer skills, obviously, but if you have an interest in this and you're willing to upgrade your skills by maybe taking some classes, there are certainly money to be made here. You know, lots of companies, big and small, will pay top dollar for somebody to create and manage their website, you know, and, and this brings a nice chunk of income um, from uh, from your home by just setting up, designing, and managing websites. It also can dovetail really nicely with um, creating and managing social media presence for mm-hmm. a company. Yeah. They kind of go hand in hand. So that's a good one. And next year on the list, number seven was to buy and sell things on Craigslist or eBay. And we talked about this some, but, you know, you can make a really nice income uh, by doing this. And, and, and a lot of times people have just used things they sell on eBay, mm-hmm. right? Um, of course, you can sell your own stuff, and that, that uh, you know, will run out eventually. But that's a good way to get started. Um, but then there's also uh, people that can sell, that, that sell things on consignment from other people, right. used items, and just may have a business for that. You know, take like a 20% cut or 25% cut, and they just sell things. So you can open up a Craigslist eBay accounts, um, start spreading the word to your friends. I mean, your garage will be filled up with stuff in no time to sell, and uh, you could turn that into a nice extra income once you get good at it. Yes, yeah, yeah. so, uh, another one here on the list is sewing. I mean, this is a skill that, again, I, I don't have some of these skills in my uh, my, my toolkit. But, <laughs> no, um, I don't either. But, uh, you know, it may not sound like a big moneymaker, but it, it can be more profitable than you think. I mean, if you can create custom window treatments, that can be a great business. You have to market it. You have to network with the right professionals, the real estate agents. Um, but, you know, you can do the alterations and upholstery, and it's a great skill that will not only save you money in your own house, but if you, um, you, know, if you market it correctly – 
it can be a great business for the right person. I mean, if you have those type of skills, you've got to be able to market. It's kind of a common theme in here. Yeah. Um, but you can put those to work and, and uh, partner with folks and make some pretty good income. Yeah, the window treatments in our house were all done by some a work-at-home mm-hmm. type mom, yep. you know, that, that was just really good at it. I mean, she was fantastic at it. So those are out there. Um, the last one here on the list is the edit, copy, uh, and video. Um, this is... <clears throat> Pretty interesting. Yeah, if you're capable, if you're good at writing and editing, you might consider working as a copy editor for a publication or a website. Also, if you have the skills as a video editor, you can get part-time work at home by editing videos for websites, you know. Um, as with many jobs, you know, you need some substantial peace and quiet to be able to do this type of work. So you might have to take advantage of early morning time or be willing to work, you know, into the evening if you have kids at home. But, you know, that can turn into a pretty nice income as well because video editing takes a lot, a lot of time. And it just it just it's just people that spend a lot of time looking at, you know, hours and hours of video and cutting it down to something that's mm-hmm. that's, uh, you know, a really good overall uh, video shoot. So the bottom line here is there are some great ways to make money at home while caring for your kids or simply foregoing the commute, you know, for a home-based business. And as with any job, it takes some special skills. It takes fortitude to market your services to the right people. But with today's technology and online opportunities, you know, there is no time like the presence to pursue your, your dream of adding significant income while caring for your kids at home. So yeah, I think, good article. Yeah, I think those are some good, great ideas. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question is about timeshares. Um, oh, boy. I, I think that has a pretty negative connotation these days. So the question is, is, is a timeshare a good investment? And certainly uh, we would not think it's a good investment. You can pretty much go out and purchase these for free um, on eBay, like we talked about uh, earlier in the earlier segment. Um, but no, I mean, trying if you buy one of these from one of those sales pitches, and actually Tammy and I went to one of those sales pitches recently. Right, man, they put the they put the hard sell. It's on you. a hard sell. It really yeah. is, and, yeah. and a lot of your... people buy it. But <clears throat> man, you put down that five thousand, fifteen, whatever the number is, and um, that money's gone. You know, and 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 they still sell them, which is amazing to me. I mean, I still sit down with people who say, "Yeah, we bought a timeshare last week," you know, mm-hmm. or we're on, we have our third timeshare or whatever. And people that it's just I don't know. I guess they're just not good at math, John. Yeah. I mean, it just boggles my mind why somebody would spend fifteen, twenty thousand dollars to buy one week at a property and then have to pay eight hundred or a thousand dollar maintenance fee yeah, right. per year. Yeah. To maintain that one week, you can go rent the timeshare typically for the cost of the maintenance fee. Yeah, the the, the math on that doesn't work out real well. It just doesn't. You know, so if you want a timeshare, go to eBay. There are hordes of them out there, and, you know, you can buy them for little or nothing, and you just just, just assume the maintenance fee. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, but once you assume that maintenance fee, it's yours, and that means if they have a if they kind of assess the owners oh, yeah. for additional money to replace the roof on yeah. the place, you're on the hook. You're on the hook. So I, I'm not a big fan of timeshares. Yeah, Just rent them. They're nice places typically, mm-hmm. so you can rent them. You know, and you can go anywhere. Yeah, and you no, can I usually do. rent it for almost the cost of the maintenance fee. So the answer so, is no. The answer is no. Not a good investment. Yeah. Good good question. Don't though. do it. All right. That leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or you can give us a call during regular business hours. Richard Young Associates, 706 739 
888-346-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back at these messages and Gina News. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD with Money Doctors in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who's a Dave Ramsey local provider. And um, we are leading off our second segment here with the prescription of the week. Yeah, this prescription is to um, make sure you talk to your spouse about money. Oh, that's a you good think, one, right? You think they ought to, we ought to like communicate and yeah, be on the same bit. page with here, money? Here, there was a Fidelity did a study recently, and forty three percent of spouses did not know how much the other spouse made. Well, I thought you were supposed to have division of labor. You know, I mean, no. you know, I worry about the money, honey, and you you cook me dinner. Yeah, and no, it doesn't work that way. No, it's supposed to be a. a it's, this is not a joint venture, right? <laughs> I mean, each person has right. their own separate agenda. No, it's. You got to talk about this. The forty-three percent did right. not know the other person's wage, and uh, I think it said like twenty-five percent of those were more than, I don't know, a big number off, twenty-five percent off or something. So yeah, yeah. Just, there are some things where you can divide up in marriage, like you know, I do the outside house yard yeah, work, chores, you yeah. know, she does the stuff in the kitchen, and that's great because you know, I mean, that's the way you know two people can mm-hmm. really sure you know divide and conquer. But money is one of those things, it's way too important for one person to handle it. Yeah, you got to come together it. on it, no doubt. You definitely have to talk about it. The other person has to at least know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they don't do it all, but... You um, have some input. you got to be on the same page. you got to have the same goals. you got to yep. kind of know where your money's going. You both spend money, so you're going to have a budget. Um, so, yeah, you, you, your, your spouse needs to be on board with. So go ask your spouse how much they make today. Right. Yeah, that would be a good start. Yeah, and then <laughs> it goes it, beyond that. Then that sit down and have a budget together. Right. It is a very interesting fact of the week. Yeah, our prescription of the week. So do talk to your spouse about money. You know, have a date, have a planning date. Yeah. Sit down and take do all that. take all uh, weapons away when you're talking. No, no yeah. forks or knives or anything like that. Yeah, take you know? the ammo out of the gun. Yeah, that's for, right. For tonight. <clears throat> no shovels or. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. All right, and that leads up to our next topic here, and that is. Are you investing enough abroad? Um, you know, article out of CNN, money, invest. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a good question. I mean, a lot of people just don't invest at all, and, and they get scared away maybe by articles sure. like the next topic yeah, we're going to talk right, about. Right. And international certainly is um, It's a different animal. It has currency fluctuations. It, it can be uh, more volatile than, than the U.S., so you need to make sure that you understand a little bit. But, you know, what we see as a part of a diversified portfolio, it fits in right nicely. It does. It's a it's a great addition. So, you know, um, you know, this comes out of CNN Money, like we said. Uh, so your investments are kind of like vacations. Sometimes, you know, you probably want to take some of those outside the United States. So if you only invest in the in the U.S., you're ignoring about half of the investment quality stocks around the globe. It's like looking at half the dinner menu. That wouldn't be any fun, right? No, unless it's a dessert menu. Well, yeah, I know, but you got to have some salad and some well, that's true. You know, meat. Some good stuff. I want the meat. You that's can right. leave out the salad for yeah, me, John. There you go. Some other people would have the opposite view. So, you know, people are always investing, uh, say about investing, about buying low and selling high. That's obviously uh, a given. But, you know, lately you look at foreign markets, and that's where most of the bargains are. You know, according to this article, since the U.S. markets are at all-time highs. So if you're starting off today and you're young, um, 
you know, buying the cheapest stocks is is a good thing. And that's according to uh, this David Morton. He's a uh, chief market strategist at an investment advisory firm. And the question is, is not how it's going to perform in 2015, but you really have got to have a longer uh, horizon. He's saying 10 plus years. So you got to look at your situation and, and uh, you know, make sure that you're you're invested properly. Yeah, and buying the cheap stocks really means buying small and value stocks. Mm-hmm. And we agree, you know, that's a yep. great part of your portfolio to have in there. Um, but you have to diversify is the key, you know. And, and investing abroad is a smart move um, to help diversify your investments as part of that diversification strategy. But you don't want all your chips in one market, you know. I mean, you want to have things diversified even across internationals. I think you want to have four, three or four different mm-hmm. asset classes, large Large international, large value, international small, maybe emerging markets. Um, you want to have thousands of stocks represented in that portion, so you want to buy use funds that are very well diversified inside of that. Yeah, and the reason why people say to diversify and folks like us in this article is the different sectors of the market perform differently at different time frames. As an example, back in the late 90s, the U.S. markets did fantastic and for about four or five years, and people piled into U.S. stocks, international stocks, you know, did not do well. And then the next 10 years in the 2000s, the U.S. markets made zero and international did well. So they do different. They, they perform differently. That's why you diversify. Exactly. Just like our next topic we're going to talk about here yep. is China. Right. China's down a third mm-hmm. in the past month. Yep. You know, so you have to diversify. You can't load up on one country or one asset class, even even an entire asset class. Um, yeah, new investors, They sh- we, experts say you should put about a third of your portfolio in international stocks, or at least a third of your equities in international stocks. Um, but it varies depending on your risk tolerance sure. level. So, you know, you need, to, you need to make some wise choices about what's your tolerance for risk. But, yeah, a significant portion of your equities needs to be in internationals. Yeah, so here are a couple of keys to international investing. First of all, know what your investing goals are, your risk tolerance. I mean, that will determine how much, um, you know, you put into equities. Um, This article says if you're in your 20s and 30s, investing in in abroad is a no-brainer. I mean, what we see and what we feel is at any age having a little piece in there probably makes a good diversified portfolio. So you want to make sure that you understand what your goal is, that you have a plan. It's number one on the list. Number two is you got to have a long, long-term mindset. I mean, you shouldn't buy today and sell tomorrow. You've got to think decades. We have people that are coming in, retiring 60 or 65. Their life expectancy is 20-plus years in a that's lot of right. cases. 30 so, years in that's right. cases. So you've got to look long-term and uh, make sure that you understand the pros and the cons and get something that fits your system and your plan, because there's a lot of different options out there. Yeah, and it also says, you know, look for high growth areas here in this article. Um, and, and I agree with that in general. And, you know, I mean, there are there are all sorts of asset classes outside the United States and countries like Asian stocks that have boomed this year, um, you know, but they've also have, have come back, mm-hmm. you know, quite a bit. You know, Europe's having a good year overall. I mean, European uh, companies, um, you know, typically grow grow less than uh, you know because they're already developed. But you know, there's there's China, there's there's all sorts of countries out there. So sure. you want to be diversified is the key. Yep. And it's all unpredictable. So that's why you know you want to you want to buy small value. You want to buy international, large, emerging markets. Mm-hmm. Be diversified internationally. 
and you are buying, you know, great growth opportunities if you do that. Yeah, and that kind of goes into the next one, focus on value. One of the key measures of value is, is something called the price-to-earnings ratio. Uh, it's relatively high in the U.S., um, but it's much lower in a lot of other places. So, you know, that's a part of the equation as well. Um, you have to look at risk and reward. I mean, in the short term, international stocks and funds can be more volatile and uh, requires a stomach for more risk tolerance. Um, but long term... Uh, they generally have good growth rates as well. I mean, they're, they're a good complement to the U.S. markets. There's some funds out there that have done really well recently, um, but you, no one knows what's going to happen next, right? We don't know which market's going to do the best, so diversification is how we feel is the best way to go. Yeah, and a lot of people say, well, I'm just going to buy, you know, U.S. and I'm going to own maybe GM stock or some of these large U.S. stocks. But are you really going to leave out com- companies like Toyota, you know, Nissan, the, you know, the great international country companies that are out there? And so the point they're making here is there are world-class companies across the globe. So you need to truly diversify worldwide and make sure you include those yes. those companies in yeah. your portfolio. Yeah, and most 401ks will have uh, some international options. Um, sometimes they're better than others. A lot of times we, we do see 401ks that lack in this area. There's one very large 401k in the area that has um in our opinion doesn't have a lot of good choices in selection so um but you know make sure you you look for those asset classes emerging markets international small that you mentioned as well yeah they're index funds a lot of times you can pick but Mm -hmm. usually it's just large internationals is typically about all they'll they'll have represented there but you at least want to take advantage of what is there and no doubt you know there are a lot of daunting headlines across the globe you know i mean Greece did default this year, right? I mean, here recently on debt. I mean, China's stock market um, was in a bubble, and, you know, now it's kind of crashing. Um, you know, Brazil's a mess. So, you know, but if you're buying and holding for the long haul, I mean, international stocks um, are a lot cheaper than U.S. stocks are right now. They have more room to grow, by, yeah. according to a lot of opinions, yeah. than the U.S. does. We mentioned price-to-earnings ratio. The uh, the German index is at about 14 Right now, emerging markets is is about the same valuation. The S and P five hundred, which is U S, is near twenty one. So, um, you know, again to kind of wrap this up, Steve, um, you know, we believe in diversification. Uh, international does have some additional risk you have to consider, but if you put it into a diversified portfolio, it's added some value over time, and you have to have a long term view to make this work. Exactly. So, yeah, that's a great topic. And that leads us up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can call us during regular business hours at 706-739-0725. You're listening to MoneyMD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD. Money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider. And we are going to um, finish our last segment here talking about China. Um, wow, John, what can you say? Very interesting phenomenon going on there. You know, the, the Chinese stock market, unbeknownst to most people, yeah has just taken off this year. It's been in a huge bubble. I mean, really bubble territory, up over 80% this year. Then it it has crashed. Now we're down a third of that. You know, it's down 30, 30-something 30 percent. Mm-hmm. 
um, here in the past month. So it's just this interesting phenomenon that's going on. And um, I mean, Greece yeah. is getting most of the headlines, but China's bubbling. Yeah, China is very, very volatile, you know, as it always is. But now it's unusually volatile. And it's, it's reaction, I think, by their central bank that's kind of puzzling. But, yeah, I mean, China's certainly not the first country to try to prop up their falling stock market. You know, central banks of Europe and America and, and Japan have all, you know, shown in form in buying shares after crashes or cutting interest rates to cheer up the bloody investors. But the circumstances, the manner of China's intervention in the past 10 days or so or past month has been a little bit of an outliner. It's yeah. been kind of unusual, and, and it's it's concerning some folks. It, it is interesting. I mean, the trigger in China's case is, is very perplexing. I mean, yeah, the stock market is down a third over the past month, but, but that's simply taking it back to March levels. It's still up 80%. Over the last year, yeah, and, which and is phenomenal, it really is. It's a huge number, and, and growth, uh, though it's sl- slowing, has has stabilized recently. And other asset markets are performing okay. Property uh, that's been in the doldrums over there is turning up, and money market rates are low and steady. So there's some calm in the banking sector, but this the anticipated correction of overvalued stocks hardly seems cause for much anguish. I mean, when they're up so much, it has to come back down. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why they would they, their central bank would seem to panic, but yeah, I mean, their intervention kind of screams of, of some kind of panic at their level. I mean, had their central bank just stopped at cutting interest rates and justifiably, you know, support for the economy when inflation is low, that would have been reasonable. Instead, there's been kind of this spectacle of this ever more drastic actions they've taken here over the past month to save the stock market, even though the stock market is still up 80% for the year. I mean, regulators have capped short, short, short-term selling. Um, pension funds have pledged to buy more stocks. These are government pension funds, of course. You know, the government has suspended initial public offerings, and they've limited the supply of shares to drive up prices of those already listed. Brokers have created fun, a fund to buy shares <laughs> backed by the central bank's cash. All the while, the state media has kind of played cheerleader, you know, for the stock market. And it's far from saving the stock market from drowning. You know, the succession of these life buoys have only pushed it further underwater. I mean, their, their uh, major index there of um, <clears throat> their biggest listed companies fell 10% over the last seven trading days or so. You know, after the rate cut here as the, you know, here this past week, um, you know, their index of high growth companies has also, um, you know, fallen by 25%. So it's just strange. I mean, you know, bubbles do pop. Sometimes it's best just not to interfere and do anything about it. Yeah. You know, lost in all the, um, the, the drama here is, is, you know, why has the government weighted in so heavily? I mean, that's, that's exactly. kind of the question. And, you know, the apparent desperation is some believe a sign that officials see a looming economic collapse and they're trying to, um, to, uh, to prop it up um, before social upheaval, uh, ensues. I mean, the, the story is very intriguing, but, you know, based on this article, they don't think it's going to happen, the, the economic collapse. I mean, lost in all the drama about the stock market is that it still plays a surprisingly small role in China. I mean, the free 
float value of the Chinese markets, that's the amount available for trading, is just about a third of GDP, and that's compared to about 100% in developed economies. And less than 15% of household financial assets are invested in the stock market in China. So, you know, which is why the soaring shares did little to boost the consumption, and the crashing prices will do little to hurt it. I mean, you know, many stocks were bought on debt, and um, the un- uh, winding of these loans helps explain, you know, why the government has been un- unable to stop the route. But, you know, I think it's it's interesting how they're trying to force the markets to stay up. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. And capitalism doesn't work that way, and markets don't work that way. So it's kind of strange that a central bank in China, you know, appears so panicky. You know, it's not that big a segment of their economy. And so if their economy is not in peril, you know, then why the panic? Um, the most compelling explanation is politics, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, they say here the government has has staked a lot of their credibility and their prestige on the stock market. So when it was going well, um, the official press was kind of, a, a you know, chalked with articles about how they were – um, you know, taking credit, you know, China's top leader was was you know pushing it. You think some of the top leaders have a, a, a vested interest in the stock market? I am sure they <laughs> they have a vested interest in the stock market, and they're trying yeah. to prop up their own yeah. finances. Is kind of one of my theories yep. behind it. I think the top leaders do have a lot in the stock market, and uh, you know, perhaps they had made some huge bets. Yeah, you know, with the stock market. Yeah, I bet. I bet, too. It's kind of funny. But, yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of like waving a a red cape in front of a bull. You know, the sudden end to the rally in the first is the first major dent in the public standing for, uh, you know, X Lee teams, X Lee's team, you know, their 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 top leader there. And their botched attempt to stabilize the market has only made it look weaker and is, you know, really given a lot of uh, fuel to the critics. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, the biggest concern about the panicked policy response is what it says about the government's agenda. I mean, the uh, economic hopes um, invested in in, uh, the, the leaders, they really stemmed from their pledge in late 2013 to let the market forces play a decisive role in allocating resources. But the actions of the past 10 days have made it abundantly clear it's the other way around. The Chinese government wants a decisive role in the markets. And um, I think that's what makes it such an interesting twist is it, it doesn't work that way. That's not how capitalism works. Yeah, I mean, it really, you know, their efforts here and their failure to prop up the market really shows the Communist Party, you know, powerful as it may be, can't indefinitely bend markets to its will. I mean, Chinese leaders should heed the lessons of, of history and, you know, get on with the challenges of liberalizing their economy. You know, a relapse toward, you know, statism will not just set China back. It also won't work. I mean, it's been proven. You know, markets do not yield to the efforts of central banks. Yeah, right. Chinese companies have, have found a guaranteed way to prevent investors from selling shares. They've suspended trading. Oh, yeah. That, that works yeah. temporarily. Uh, almost 200 stocks were halted this last week, bringing the total number of 745, or 26% of the firms listed, um, that, that are halted. You yeah, can't that's, trade it. That's crazy. It I really just can't is. believe they've done that. You know, I mean, that is crazy. Yeah, I mean, these suspensions, they've locked up $1.4 trillion of share, dollars of shares, 21% of China's stock market capitalization. And, you know, I mean, they're 
they're becoming increasingly popular as equity more, uh, prices tumble. You know, and if it weren't for the halts, a 28% plunge in the composite index from its June 12th peak would probably have been even deeper. Oh, no doubt. You know, yeah. but the main objective is to prevent share prices from slumping further amid the selling stampede. And uh, But what's going to happen is, you know, in the middle of this stampede, they've halted trading. So when what's going to happen when they start trading again? Yeah, I know. It's going to plummet further. Plus, they're scaring away all the buyers. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah to put it in perspective, 25% of, of China's stocks are, are suspended or halted. In the U.S., there's 0.2%. And um, so it's not unheard of to happen, but 0.2% in the U.S. And Hong Kong is about 5% have that suspension so it's yeah. it's grossly um it's it's in the wrong direction oh it's it's just way out the top there's no doubt yeah i mean you know they um uh they halted the the trading of, of you know one of their bigger companies after losing 54 percent in just three weeks you know the company makes chemical fibers online games um i, I don't know it's just crazy i mean what they're doing here is is it seems like they would be smart enough to recognize yep. this is a losing strategy. So what does this mean to the average investor? I mean, if you're diversified, you probably have a little sliver um, in China. Maybe, right. I don't know, percent, right. half a percent, two percent. It's a small amount. So, you know, it's nothing to, to freak out about, um, certainly exactly. from an investor standpoint. But any any words to the wise? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think what it shows, too, is that markets do work. You know, this will play out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, the market, you know, it, it's volatile. You need to diversify, right? I mean, that's really the lesson here is because we can't control what happens in China. No. And their market was up 80%. If it's up 80%, it can fall 80%. Sure. And, uh, or it can fall 50% to get back to where it was. Mm-hmm. And, and that's basically what's happening here is you're seeing an incredible amount of volatility. This hasn't played out yet, so I'm sure we're going to see the end game of this here pretty soon when they resume trading and there's some other sectors in the international markets that have done well so that's why you diversify exactly Um, so exactly if you have questions about that you can certainly reach out to us yeah but it is very interesting to see what's going on in the world stage yeah it is no doubt all right well that brings us to a close for this week's edition of money md but tune in next saturday from 9 to 10 a.m to hear more prescriptions for your financial health do check us on our website moneymd.net email us your questions we'd love to hear from you you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net or give us a call 706-739-0725 thanks for listening Ladies have a and great weekend children of all Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIP. See you.